When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here for another conversation with an inspiring woman who has a remarkable story. Um, Joining me in just a moment will be Shalmina Abji. Shelmina is a former vice president at IBM, and she's also an author. And we're going to be talking about her incredible book that has very specific strategies for women who are looking to rise into leadership at their own companies. Later in the show, you'll hear from Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor. And Sherry's going to be bringing you the story of uh, Robin Goodman, who is the producer of the Bucks County Playhouse. That's going to be a really great segment. If you're new to the show, as always, and you want to learn more about our guests' lineup um, and events outside of the show, go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome back to the show my dear friend, um, an incredible author, mentor, speaker, and really an inspiration for women, Shalmina Abji. Shalmina, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, I saw you grow, watched you grow. I was on your show when you first started, and I'm so proud of how far you've come. And I'm just so thrilled to join you. Well, it's great to have you back. And just so our viewers know, you're in New York. Um, yes. I believe you're, are you at a women's conference this week? You know, the, the conference is Ad Week. Okay. And Ad I week. was on a panel with um, a company called the Female Quotient. They do a lot of work to advance women equality. And I was talking about my book in their equality lounge. So it was okay. just the perfect setting. 
Yeah, excellent. So for anyone who perhaps missed your first uh, appearance on our show, um, I think absolutely a big part of your journey is your beginning. Um, and I'll shorten it by saying you were born in Tanzania and poor. And as a young girl, very, very determined to help lift your family out of poverty. And here you are today. So for anyone who's not familiar with your story, just give a real brief snippet about um, your beginning there and, and what prompted you to, to set that goal. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't use the word poor, but I call it humble because we always had food to eat. The four brothers and sisters shared a room. My mom and dad worked really hard. We had no disposable income. But I did grow up in a family with a lot of love, with a lot of strong values, and really watching my mother work so hard. So to give you a context, um, my mom was married when she was 14 years old. Um, she got her first child, my eldest sister, at the age of 15, and she had a fourth grade education. However, she was a talented cook. And so she used her talent of cooking to make money to raise us, her children. And so, uh, Susan, she took so much pride in what she did. She looked at her work as an opportunity that enabled her to raise her children. And so watching her work hard with a smile on her face and being proud of what she could do to raise her kids uh, are my early impressions of growing up. Mm. And it was in third grade. So let me just back up a little bit. My mom and dad moved to a very small mining town when I was ready for kindergarten. So they sent me to my maternal grandmother to study. And my maternal grandmother loved me unconditionally. I could do nothing wrong by her. And as grandmothers should, as grandmothers should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, so at night when I sat down to do my homework, my my grandmother would say, "Aren't you tired? Do you want to go to sleep?" And I'd say, "Okay, I'm going to go to sleep." And so, as a result of that, in my class of thirty, I would rank twenty-seven. And so, when my mom moved back in third grade, I run home and I thrust my report card into her hand. You know, she's cooking these rice cakes called vitumbua in Swahili. She's all red, you know, steam all over. And she starts crying. And I look at her confused, really confused. Why are you crying? And she says, I work so hard so you can go to school and you've come home with all failing grades. And I said, well, you didn't tell me you wanted me to pass. <laughs> I mean, that's how naive I was. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I don't like to see my mom unhappy. And I definitely don't want to be the cause of her unhappiness. So I started applying myself. I intentionally shifted my attention from going to play at school to going to study at school. Mm. And within a semester, Susan, I went from ranking 27th in the class to third in the class. And that started a domino effect. 
right? Initially, it was to please my mom. And then I realized, hey, I can get good grades if I work hard, if I study. And that's what got me to dream about obtaining a college degree. Because I figured if I had a college degree, then I could lift myself and my family out of poverty. Yeah. And that took me first to India, got a degree in mathematics. When I came back, I realized that that was not going to pay me enough to lift my family and myself out of poverty. Um, and that brought me to the U.S. to get a degree in computer science, and that changed everything. Yeah. It's amazing to me those pivotal moments where a decision is made. You know, you remember that one little moment in your life looking at your mom crying and deciding I'm going to change things and how powerful that can be. When you sent me a beautiful, I love uh, your young photo of yourself <laughs> and there's something behind your eyes in that photo. Um, and I always love this question. If you look back at that little girl and where you are today, what would you say to her? Oh my God. You know, even if I said what I said to her, she would not understand. Um, because, you know, I lived such a protected life in a very small bubble. I didn't know that there is such a thing as corporation. I had no idea there is such a thing as a senior executive. I, I couldn't even dream of where I am now. And, and really that's what drives me to pay forward because it wasn't even possible. I mean, I, if I spoke to her that, hey, you know, you're gonna have a great life, you're gonna be living in America, you're gonna become one of the highest ranking women of color, take it easy, things are gonna be great. Um, <laughs> she would probably look at me like I had lost my mind. Yeah, it, um, it, it unfolded, you know. Yeah. Yeah, one, it's one step at a time, one yeah. step at a time. But that little girl, the one, the picture I sent you would have never even begin to understand if I were to share with her what is possible in your life. Yeah, that's why all those lessons along the way are are part of the journey. You know, um, one of the things that you you talk about often when you're talking about, you know, your professional journey is that. At a time years ago, you were not seeing people, women that looked like you. And I wonder if you can talk about that, how, you know, on one respect, I think we should tap into and embrace our originality. We shouldn't want to look or be like anyone else. But at the same time, the representation from leadership wasn't there for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Susan, um, this is what drives me to do what I do today. Because believe it or not, what I faced 30 years ago, the internal barriers, the external barriers, women even today are facing them. But what happened is after I graduated with a degree in computer science from university in Wisconsin, La Crosse, small university in the Midwest, I was on a what's called a practical training visa. So I had a one year work visa. And there was only one company that even would consider interviewing me because of my visa status. No one else would even talk to me, even though I was on the dean's list. 
And I did that while I worked 35 to 40 hours every week to pay for my education. Mm. But the fact that I didn't have the right visa, most companies would not even consider interviewing me. But one technology startup company based in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities, interviewed me and gave me a job. Susan, the $27,000 a year that they offered me was more money than my parents could make in 10 years. Mm. And I was ecstatic. I thought, this is it. We're never going to be poor again. I don't have to reach higher. (laughs) This is it, right? Because from where I came from, this is a huge success. But then something very interesting happened. I showed up to work and started noticing that in our company of 2,000 people, there was no one that looked like me. Not just in the leadership ranks. There was no one that looked like me. Everyone was more educated. They came from Ivy League colleges and all these other big name colleges. They were all more experienced. I was just starting out. And they all came from better socioeconomic environment. You could tell from the way they, the clothes they wore between, you know, and the clothes I wore. Um, listen, we have to go into our first break. And when we come back, we're going to finish this conversation. Stay with us uh, if you're listening on 1210 for our watch team. And I'll be back with Shalmina Abji, author and former IBM vice president. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving you the tools and resources you need to succeed financially. As women, we're no stranger to managing it all. A household, children, a job, the list goes on and on. But when was the last time you took a close look at your personal finances or your income in comparison to your spending and debts? If you've been putting your budget on the back burner, now is the time to take control. It's important to note that having a budget is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're in dire straits or have bad spending habits. It means that you're committed to your financial health. It's simply a tool to look out for yourself. Whether it's in a worksheet or on your computer, a paper in your office, or a simple note in your phone, keep track of your monthly income and your expenses. From your monthly income, determine how much will go towards bills, everything from rent to cell phone. Next, estimate how much you expect to spend in living expenses. This is a broad category and ranges from groceries and gas to clothing and entertainment. With whatever is remaining, allocate that money to be deposited into a savings account. Remember, there is no amount too small to save. By having this information readily in front of you, you'll be able to determine where you can cut back and where you could even increase. Budgeting allows you to discover and decide what you value. To learn more, visit PennCommunityBank.com. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. On behalf of Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and our newest Watch Team contributor, here's some information you may need to know about women in science. There are so many exciting potential new developments for the treatment of diabetes that I think the future is very bright. One is in technology. The advances in technologies that in terms of continuous glucose monitors and insulin delivering pumps and the way those two pieces of technology can communicate to deliver insulin in a smart way is very exciting. 
This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco, and you're watching Women to Watch, and I'm joined this week by Shalmina Abji. Shalmina, again, is the author of a, a great new book, which we'll be talking about, and she's also a former vice president at IBM. Um, Shalmina, I wanted to open this segment with a quote because I believe it so much that you have said, if you accept challenges that come your way, it becomes an exciting adventure. If you resist them, it turns into anxiety. And I think, you know, anxiety is something we talk about on the show a lot because I think we live in a world where everywhere we go and look, um, every time we read something, you know, we we can feel anxious because there's a lot of things going on. And so I wanted you to talk about that concept and what you do in those moments of anxiety uh, when perhaps you're traveling and things don't go, you know, the way you want them to, or you're just feeling worried yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Susan, for us women, when we are trying to balance our work and our life, and as you know, I became a single mom when my children were two and four, and I had 10 people reporting to me with a quota of $120 million. And those were frankly the darkest days of my life, but they were also the most transformative days of my life. And for us women, no matter how much we love our careers, we're not just career women. We're mothers, we're daughters, we're sisters, we're caregivers. And we, each one of these roles gives energy and brings meaning to our lives. But when we're trying to do all these roles in this very uncertain, very unpredictable, fast-paced environments, we are bound to face challenges. And frankly, I tell people that these challenges are what will grow you. These challenges will teach you they are here for a reason. And so look at challenges as a learning opportunity. It's really the shift in perspective. Mm -hmm. If you look at challenges as a learning opportunity, it's now an opportunity and not a problem. Right. Yeah. And the energy that you bring to that situation changes because now you're looking at this challenge and saying, you're curious and you're saying, what can I learn from this? Right. And um, the more challenges you face, the better you get at it. But there will always be certain challenges that will come your way. And you just have to stop because it will disturb you. We are humans. We see all this injustice around the world. We do get disturbed when our loved ones are not feeling well when something's going on that makes us upset. And so yes, give us space to get upset, but also know that by you being upset for an extended period of time, you are not able to bring your full energetic self to the situation and become part of the solution instead of the problem. Yes. Um you know, you talk about a lot of this in the book. And I, so my first question is, tell me about the moment you decided I'm going to write a book. Uh, 
There's a sea of, of resources and books out there talking about leadership, but I think your approach and your, you, you know, your perspective is unique yeah. and it is very actionable. Yeah. So tell me first where you were when, you know, the idea sparked and why did you want to write this book? Yeah. So, you know, Susan, it was it was a journey. And and so, as you know, I left IBM at, at the peak of my career because I was burdened with gratitude. I you know where I came from and I couldn't be done without paying forward. And so initially I started speaking to women, I started mentoring, I would speak at conferences, I would speak at different companies, and I would share my insights. And what I learned through that is that my insights, my strategies, not only worked for me, but it was working for all these other women who were facing similar barriers that I had faced, who were searching for a blueprint for success, just as I was searching when I was trying to figure out how do I become successful? And there is no blueprint. There are bits and pieces of advice, sometimes coming from someone you don't relate to, that you can't identify with. And so when these women came to me and started telling me that, hey, remember this conversation we had? I now got a promotion. Remember you spoke here about having a better relationship with your boss? Well, guess what? I now have a better relationship with my boss. And so when I started getting this proof of concept, if you will, so, you know, I grew up in technology. In technology, if you have a product that internally you will agree, but there isn't a fit for the market, then it's a non-starter. So if these intentional strategies had only worked for me and they weren't working for anyone else, then it wouldn't really work for a larger audience. But when it started working, Susan, I and, I and I saw that these women were getting disheartened. These women were actually opting out of the leadership pipeline and the pandemic actually made the situation worse. Mm -hmm. And I started focusing. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details on the numbers 
of women in the workplace. You see, in 2019, more women with college degrees entered the workforce than men did. And even though we make up 50% of the workforce population, if you look at how many women are in the leadership pipeline, at the very first rung of the ladder, of the 100 men that get promoted, depending on whose report you're looking at, 60 or 80, but it's far less women that get promoted. And then this problem gets compounded at each additional level. And so when you get to the very top, there are 10% women, 4% women of color. And this is not acceptable because that's where the big decisions are made. These mm -hmm. systems have been in place, not by women. We need to be in those rooms to be the change agents, to make the big decisions, to change the systems. And so I took on the challenge of being a change agent for both gender equality and racial equality. And that drives me every single day to ensure that I am teaching women how to rise up the ladder, not just contributing value and staying at the bottom, but intentionally building the relationships, intentionally getting outside your comfort zone so you grow your competence, and in, in, in finding the sponsors, the people that are going to advocate for you when you're not in the room and take a chance on you because they have watched you. You see, when I first became a leader, Susan, that's when I realized the power your boss has over your career. How you are known, that's why there's an entire chapter on intentional leadership branding. How you're known in a room where you're not present is going to determine whether you get the promotion, whether you get the stock options or not, whether you get the big rewards or not. And then, more importantly, who knows you? Especially when it's executive level positions where they can't afford for you to fail because the business you're running is now going to determine their earnings per share every quarter. And so they want to make sure that the person they put in those positions have a high chance of succeeding. Now, remember, no one already knows the job before they take the job. No one. But that person has, has the right people sitting in the room. You have to demonstrate success, of course. You have to have the leadership branding, of course. But you also have to have people in the room that are going to advocate for you, that are going to put their credibility on the line and say, yes, Susan should get this job. I have watched her grow. I have watched her struggle. I have watched her make decisions when the climate is emotionally charged. I have watched her fall, dust herself off, get up and keep going. You want to demonstrate these attributes time and time again so people can see it that's when they'll bet on you. You know, I love one of the things you talk about and you did yourself was in trying to, we have to know how do people perceive us, right? What is our reputation among our colleagues? And um, you say it's as simple as just asking someone that you work with or someone who knows you, when you think of me, what do you think of? And don't you learn so much from that question? Yeah. We do, we do. And this is why these trusted group of people that will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Right. Yeah. They are worth their weight in gold. Yes. And there are advocates and our sponsors. Yes. So 
tell me, um, well, first of all, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about Girl Up for anyone who's not familiar with that and how you came to um, be on the board and what kinds of initiatives are you working on today with that organization? Yeah. So Girl Up is an initiative of the United Nations Foundation. And our what we do, our goal is to equip young women with leadership skills. Most of these women that join Girl Up are activists. We want them to be change makers. And so we equip them with leadership skills at a young age so their impact and their influence is increased. Um, and I joined the board six, yeah, almost seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually invited to speak there. Um, and, and then I fell in love with their mission. I fell in love with the girls that they were serving. And I could see a tremendous opportunity for growth for that organization in the global marketplace. And today I'm happy to tell you over 150 members in hundreds of countries, we have grown so much and our impact has unfolded way beyond our expectation. And actually pandemic was the impetus that allowed us to start holding and our, our meetings virtually, our leadership summit, and also to allow us to put everything, make it digital and accessible to young women worldwide. Can I ask you, are you seeing the impact that this kind of work is having? So when we think about ourselves as young girls and there was there were no leadership lessons, uh, you know, that kind of support. And today there is. Um, do you know stories of young women who have been through uh, or associated with Girl Up and what the impact has been for them to oh. develop that confidence at a young age? 100%. In fact, I oftentimes feel that these young women have even more power because they are heard by so many more people. We, we have women that have been engaged in everything from stopping domestic violence to actually going and getting bills passed in their countries to support young women. And they are able to rally other women. I get so energized just watching these women, these young women, because they are invincible. They they believe in something. They don't know what they don't know. And so they're just going to go after it with full force. And this is the world they're going to inherit. And when you have young women talking about climate change, for example, they are heard because they are going to inherit this place that we're messing up. Well, you got me fired up <laughs> and I have all kinds of intentions for the, for later today. Thanks so much, Shomin. I know how busy you are. I always love to hear from you and you're incredibly inspiring and we'll share a link to the book. Thank you for having me again, Susan. Thank you. Bye. Stay with us and up next will be Sherry Marson, our leaders, our excuse me, lifestyle watch contributor. And again, she'll be with Robin Goodman, producer at the Bucks County Playhouse. We'll be right back. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. 
today I welcome Broadway and Bucks County producer, executive producer, Robin Goodman. Hey, Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I am so excited to tell everybody all about you and all the wonderful work that you've done. It's it, You had an incredible career. Thank Robin, um, it's most impressive. She's not only an executive producer on Broadway and in New Hope at the Bucks County Playhouse, she has won six Emmy Awards and for One Life to Live, which was the first daytime gay storyline. She has also won four Tony Awards for Avenue Q, In the Heights, Angels in America, and most recently, Company. She's also been nominated for an additional five Tonys and multiple Drama Desk and other awards along the way. Too many to list. Um, Robin, please tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you got started in the entertainment industry. Sure. Um, I grew up, well, I was born in Brooklyn, but I grew up in New Jersey, West Orange, New Jersey, um, you know, in a normal middle class home. And but my mother had always wanted to be an actress. She'd worked in radio. And so she brought me to the theater starting when I was five years old to Shakespeare when I was five years old. <laughs> and I don't know what I thought of it, but it obviously gave me the bug. And uh, I wanted to be an actress. And so when I was in high school, I actually took classes in New York City at the Berghoff studio and um, went to college to study theater and psychology at Brandeis University. And when I graduated, I came to New York with a, after uh, being at the Sharon Playhouse, I had a little money in my pocket and I said, I'm going to be an actress. And um, I got a job in about six weeks. That was really lucky uh, for Lincoln Center. Uh, I played Antigone in a very interesting production that toured New York State. But I would say that, you know, I, I acted uh, for about nine years, I guess. And then uh, Carol Rothman, who now still runs the Second Stage Theater, came to me and asked if I would start a theater with her. And it was only because we had worked so much for Joseph Papp who was the greatest producer at that time, running the public theater in New York, who had asked me to bring him projects. He thought I was a producer. God knows why, but he did. And it, it, it the second bug got in my ear. And so when Carol asked me, I said, yes. And we started the second stage theater. And that's the beginning of my career. A lot of fun and a lot of ground covered. Um, yes. Fast forward a, a little bit, you and producer Alexander Fraser assumed the leadership roles of producing director and executive producer in 2014 at the Bucks County Playhouse. So I want everyone to know about the amazing shows that you've made available right here in beautiful and New Hope, Bucks County, um, at the Playhouse. A quick history about the building. It used to be a, a grist mill that was built in 1790. Um, and a group of artists, it was supposed to be demolitioned, and a group of artists uh, rallied to the community successfully and asked, they wanted to rebuild it as a theater. And it reopened, or it opened as a theater in 1939. And it quickly became America's most famous summer theater and had legends like Helen Hayes, Jessica Kit Tandy, Grace Kelly, Robert Redford, Angela Lansbury. I mean, the list is endless. Um, it remained in operation until 2010, and 
the Bridge Street Foundation, which is a family foundation that is run and operated by Kevin and Sherry Doherty, renovated the theater and reopened in 2012. And you showed up in 2013-14. Um, and now there's no reason to go to the city for a Tony Award-winning show <laughs> or to see celebrities. Please tell me. Sorry. You, you've met so many wonderful people, and, and I don't want to miss out on anything. So please tell us a little bit about your favorite moments, most memorable moments in your career. Well, starting at the Playhouse was a memorable moment. I, Alex asked me to be a consultant. It was his way to seduce me into doing more work. <laughs> but uh, mostly I've been producing on Broadway. Memorable moments. Uh, I produced a play, the last play that Robin Williams was in called Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. But I guess the, the most wonderful memory I have is in 2004, winning the Tony Award for Avenue Q. And I told you a story about, uh, it was so exciting. I was so happy my parents were still alive. And I remember walking to the press room and calling my dad at home and he answered, he said, Oh, oh, I can't talk to you. The, the phone is ringing off the hook. <laughs> so I knew it had an impact on them. I mean, they, they, they were so instrumental in me loving the theater. We went many times a year. And uh, I went twice to play so I could meet Julie Harris and Geraldine Page and all these people. I was a real stalker back then. Uh, but uh, that was, I would say, the highlight. I mean, it's always fun to win a Tony, but the ones that you, that was my first big commercial project. I mean, I had done a play or two before that. I'd done Off-Broadway. I did Tick, Tick, Boom before Lin-Manuel made it a movie. And um, actually, he put us in the movie because we produced the original musical, which was a lot of fun. During COVID, it's the only money I earned. And uh, the only fun I had, actually, was filming that little moment in Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, boy, COVID really hit everybody. Um, and it's the theater oh. industry it was very, very sad. Um, you started out as an actress in off-Broadway productions and on the popular soap opera Another World. And you want to tell us oh, a little yes. bit about that? Oh, well, uh, my husband at the time was on the soap opera for a little bit. He was uh, a theater actor and he did movies and television. And um, a, a part came up for uh, a character's assistant who was just a mess. And when I read the script, I, you know, he said, they're going to offer this to you. And I said, oh, this is a funny part on a soap opera. Who ever gets a funny part on a soap opera? So I took it and uh, he was this very serious doctor and I was working for a man he was seeing as a patient. And John Randolph, I think was his name. And um, I just couldn't get anything right. You know, back then when telephones were ringing and, you know, they didn't have the internet and, uh, it was a lot of fun. I had fun. And so when I went to work at One Life to Live, I wanted to keep that humor going because, you know, they're very serious stories on those soaps, but there's room for, for laughter. So I hope that I helped. We had a wonderful writer named Michael Malone who just passed away. He was a brilliant, he, he wrote books that were won a lot of awards. He was a mystery writer and I adored him and he had a great sense of humor. So I was very lucky. And it was fun, you know, it was fun. It's a nice way for young actors to start. A lot of them did. Yeah. A lot of them in there. Well, and it sounds like your life as a producer was officially launched at some point uh, with 
all of that. And then you got involved with the second stage theater. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about second stage and what's different about that. Well, we decided at the time there were a lot of small theaters in New York, like over 200, and they were all doing new plays and then the plays would get lost. They do them on this contract that was 12 performances. So Carol and I were trying to find a niche and we thought, well, why don't we say we're going to reinvent those plays that are lost? I think our, our first statement was people are ripping plays out of typewriters, if you can believe it, and putting them on the stage and they're getting lost and we want to reinvigorate them. So that's how we started. And then we started doing new plays. And uh, I stayed for 13 years. It was very successful. We had um, a great critic at the New York Times at that point, Frank Rich. Uh, and he was our age and he understood our sensibility and he did very well by us. So uh, we, uh, we got a lot of attention. So that was very lucky. And then I left to make a living to go to the soap opera. That, that is the trajectory. And then okay. uh, when I, after five years, I thought, well, I have enough money to buy an apartment. Maybe I can go back to the theater. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you take jobs for, for financial reasons. And I mean, that job turned out to teach me a great deal about storytelling and, and television. It was, it was a wonderful job, but uh, it wasn't my life's passion. Thank you again. <laughs> Um, I'm checking out Bucks County Theater and um, keep building your dreams, ladies. On behalf of Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and our newest Watch Team contributor, here's some information you may need to know about women in science. So there are many, many different rare diseases that are under that umbrella term vascular anomalies and they were mainly treated with surgery and intervention. So we can now use drugs that we use in cancer, but we don't need to use them at as high of a dose. We need more information on why these medicines are working and will they work for every phenotype of a vascular anomaly? So many, many questions that are still left unanswered. Now, the women to watch, military watch. After the past two decades at war, we have only now passed the first year that American armed forces were not deployed to a major theater of operations overseas. Though many of our service members are back home, the U.S. military is still deployed worldwide. Hello, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. And this Wednesday, October 26th, is National Day of the Deployed. It reminds us that we have brave and committed service members away from their families and friends doing challenging work in support of our nation's interests. Today, approximately a quarter of the U.S. military is overseas, working with partner nations, conducting security operations, or providing vital resources and aid to people in need. Within the military community, we have an ongoing tradition of wearing red on Fridays. The word red represents, remember everyone deployed. And it's our enduring commitment to our brothers and sisters and their families. Now, some ways you can recognize the National Day of the Deployed is to consider donating or volunteering at a USO or other organizations that serve deployed troops and their families. 
And another way to show your support is at home to reach out to neighbors or coworkers or friends who have a loved one serving overseas, simply letting them know that you see them and understand their sacrifice can make a huge difference. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's show. Big thank you to Tone, our producer, and Sherry Marson for always bringing such a really fun um, light segment at the end of the show. Um, next week, I'm very much looking forward to my interview with Kathy Bloomgarden. Kathy took over her father's global PR firm, uh, Rudder Finn, and she's now leading a very successful team as the CEO. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.